our close rate right now is, is probably 85% on employee referral. When you have top people, they tend to know other top people. And there's no better referral than the one that comes from an existing employee. Our production of our internally referred advisors is two times what our average recruiting GDC is. A recent college graduate will have eight different careers. We want them to have those eight different careers here at Fifth Third. We actually have different events that we leverage from a recruiting perspective for female advisors. It's not just attracting the female talent, it's actually supporting them as they're at the firm. If you go around and interview program directors, their top five advisors is probably made up of female advisors. You may have a branch manager that just started with an organization in the last six months. Well, she probably worked with seven or eight advisors at her previous bank, right? Hello, and welcome to BISA Industry Trend Watch podcast. Good to have you with us today. Industry Trend Watch is a monthly series of with industry leaders discussing trends in the financial institutions channel. Productivity trending is provided by our bankchannelresearch.com portal, an interactive tool that reports on channel performance based on data collected monthly from over 50 financial institutions. In addition to industry trends, you will hear our guests provide their perspectives on the evolving strategic initiatives that are driving success and enabling our channel to better compete in the broader financial services industry. But first, we'd like to thank Ameriprise for making these podcasts possible. And as a show of appreciation, let's please listen to this brief message. This is Chris Melton, National Director of the Ameriprise Financial Institutions Group. Ameriprise Financial Institution Group is a proud sponsor of the BISA Monthly Industry Trending Podcast Series. With more than 25 years of experience and knowledge in serving the investment program needs of local banks and credit unions, Ameriprise Financial Institution Group brings a depth of understanding as well as investment capabilities to help clients and members feel more confident, connected, and in control of their financial life. We look forward to learning more about your financial institution and sharing how a successful investment program can be a competitive advantage. Call us at 800-679-1237 or visit us at ameriprise.com AFIG. Securities offered by Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, member FINRA and SIPC. Not federally insured, no financial institution guarantee, may lose value. Thank you. Hello and welcome to BISA Trend Watch. I am Scott Stathis. I'll be your host along with Bob Mattel, who will introduce himself shortly. So this month uh, is a continuation of our episode from last month about recruiting. So we're going to dive a little deeper this month. We're going to we're going to be talking about recruiting younger advisors, uh, female advisors, uh, mentorships, internships, where the best sources of candidates might be, uh, how to leverage technology and social media to to aid the recruiting efforts. Etc. So it should be an interesting discussion, and and we're going to dive right in. But first, let me have Bob introduce himself. Take it away, Bob. Well, thanks, Scott, and hello, everyone. I am Bob Mattel, and let me welcome you to this, the hazy, hot, and humid summer edition of BISA Industry Trend Watch. And as Scott said, we have another great panel with us today. But before we meet them, let me remind you to visit BISANet.org for all things BISA, especially the regulatory and Compliance Summit that's coming up in November. So let's meet today's panel. Probably the only place that I just heard is not hazy, hot, and humid is in Cincinnati, where Bob Corsari is. Bob, welcome to the podcast. Oh, great, Bob. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. 
And from Charlotte, North Carolina, we have Ian from Ameriprise. Ian, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Bob. Happy to be here. All right. So with that, we have a lot to cover today. So sit back, relax, get a cold drink. And if you're watching on the beach, put on another layer of sunscreen and let's get going. Scott, uh -huh. so it's your turn. All right. So before I ask the, the first question, I just want to give our listeners a feel for the scope of uh, Fifth Third Bank's program. So, Bob, if, if you will, give us a give us a feel for your program, the scope of your program, the structure of your program, et cetera. And then I'm going to throw a question out at you. Great. Thank you. So, I, you know, I'm responsible for Fifth Third Securities. I'm the managing director for the broker dealer, uh, the insurance company, and I also run the mass affluence segment uh, for the bank side. So uh, we're a number of different hats, but our program, you know, our footprint is throughout the Midwest and into the Southeast where we continue to expand uh, as the population migration continues into places like North Carolina, South Carolina, and Florida. Uh, we have about 240 full-time investment executives or advisors uh, in our program. We have about another 250 platform uh, representatives that report into us. Our AUM is about 25 billion. We're gonna do about $240 million in revenue. And, um, you know, we just, you know, continue to see um, uh, this year, in particular, a little bit more of a flight to quality when it comes to traditional fixed income products, uh, as well as our continued uh, advisory business, which makes up, you know, about 60 plus percent of our overall revenues. So it's uh, certainly been a different environment in 2022 and 2023, but uh, you know you have to be dynamic in, in dealing with uh, different market opportunities. That, that 60 plus percent of advisory business is impressive. And, and my guess is like many other programs that uh, that percentage has grown steadily over the years. And I think speaks well to the relationship-based nature of the relationships that your advisors have with their clients. So good job on that on that front. So let me throw out the first question to you, Bob, and then and then Ian, I, I'd like you to take a swing at this uh, after Bob answers the question as well. So as we all know, and as we discussed in the uh, in the prior episode, uh, you know, we're, we're in a pretty difficult environment for recruiting good advisors. There are recruiting wars going on, essentially. So one of the things, and this is a longer term solution, is making sure we're doing a good job recruiting younger talent into our industry. And I think younger talent also helps with our challenge relative to getting the next generations, the generations after the baby boomers under our tent and, and getting them to become clients of our wealth management programs, right? And that's that's been a challenge as well. So the question is, have you had su success recruiting young talent? And if so, what do you think are the most successful ways to get the younger cohort interested in our channel? Bob? Yeah, I, I think it's a great question because I think, you know, so many of our current advisors and all of us are, are in a certain age demographic. So, um, you know, I, I always tease that we're all aging gracefully together, but there is that next generation that needs to help service our clients going forward and, and be there for them. So we've been pretty intentional at Fifth Third Securities over the course, particularly of the last year and a half, two years, as you see more of our existing population talking about sunsetting and retirement. Um, who's going to take over those books of business and help those clients, uh, you know, with their investment needs and give them the advice and guidance they deserve. So I, I would say we've, we've attacked it from a, kind of a multifaceted approach. One, we've been very successful with our licensed banker program. That's one that we've never waned from. We also, I, I mentioned before, part of my duties is 
kind of the mass affluent banker segment that uh, serves as kind of, I would say, a, a, a private banker for those clients that have banking needs between $100,000 and $2 million. Those people are fully licensed at, at Fifth Third Securities. And many of them have seen the career aspiration of moving into the investment executive role. And I, I would say almost 15% of our current population of advisors at one time served in the licensed banker role. They were mentored by an advisor. They were able to uh, learn from that and really saw that the investment business is where they wanted to take that next step in their career. Uh, and I, I think that's important that we continue to promote that and, and provide opportunities. Also, though, we've really been very diligent about working with different of the local colleges here about creating internships. And we've, we've developed a program where we've hired some people in non-licensed in a support role to do more administrative tasks. And we're actually starting the process of getting them licensed. So they're learning the business, having the opportunity to come in. And so far it's been really successful. And we're, we're trying to provide, I think the cost of talent has gone up dramatically since the beginning of the pandemic. We're, we're trying to find the opportunity to bring the right people in. And we're finding it to be a very cost-effective way to be able to bring talent into the industry, talent into the organization and have a longer term view. Um, you know, our CEO, Tim Spence says many times, you know, a recent college graduate will have eight different careers. We want them to have those eight different careers here at Fifth Third with the opportunities that they have. So between college recruiting, our licensed banker program, and, you know, the, the opportunity to, to kind of coach and mentor has been kind of our foray into help continuing to increase our headcount uh, to meet the demands of our current clients. So, Bob, let me let me ask you a follow on question, because, um, you know, you, you bring up an interesting dynamic with uh, with internships right and, and I think uh, the the more creative you are with with recruiting into intern programs the the, the better off that you'll be from having a pipeline of younger talent uh, in in the wings right but the thing that I've heard and you tell me if this is true the thing that I've heard is that a lot of college students and recent college grads have kind of a adversion to what they see as a sales position. Being an advisor is essentially a sales position, right? So, you know, I've, I've seen some companies that regardless of that, they, they, they throw candidates directly into kind of the sales culture and other organizations that uh, that don't do that. They have a, a longer development track for interns that decide to then take a job with the organization that you know, may, like you said, start in, in support roles and let them get their feet wet into what this, uh, you know, industry is all about. And then they can kind of choose their path through the organization. So so I guess the, the real question is, have you seen an aversion to a, quote, sales, unquote, type of position for the younger cohort? Or is that really not a thing as much as it's made out to be? Oh, no, I think it's definitely a, a true in, in people's perceptions of that. And I, I think that we our industry was probably celebrated more from the late 80s through maybe the, uh, the, the financial crisis in 2008. And we're now 15, 20 years past that. And you've just seen a whole generation of people have grown up with a different kind of viewpoint 
on on financial services. So I think it's definitely reality. But just like anything else, you have to focus. It's it's not a hundred percent in anything. So you realize you have to have a longer term view on it, and it's going to take discipline because it's not like making an existing hire with a experienced advisor that could come in and make an immediate impact to your bottom line. This is a longer term play. So you have to maintain discipline, have the buy-in uh, of not only the people around you, but the organization that uh, supports you, or particularly in a big bank, to realize that this is more of an expense early on, but will pay off down the line. So I, I feel very comfortable that we have that level of buy-in. And also, if they determine that the people that we hire, if that financial sales is not the direct path that they want to go into, we have been very upfront that we have different positions, whether it be in principal review, whether it be in compliance, uh, whether it be in just staff administration, that those are all difficult positions to fill just like advisors. And we're constantly looking for, you know, the top talent in those areas as well. So it's not just the play for simply where the next advisor is going to be. If someone feels that after seeing the organization from an internal standpoint, uh, maybe if there's a, a non-sales role, I'm completely fine with that. It's another opportunity for us. But I think people see the opportunity. And, you know, I think like most organizations, we do celebrate our, the success of our top advisors. Uh, I think that's quite attractive to people coming right out of college. I think you just said some really important stuff. So I, I and I can relate to this because I have a daughter that that just graduated and she's interested in our industry, right? And she's interviewing. But you know, directly from her, she she was concerned. She has an interest in being a financial advisor, but she was concerned with, do I, you know, I, am I really a salesperson? How quickly will I have to be in production versus? kind of getting my feet wet and figuring out if this is really the direction. But the point of that is, uh, Bob, what you said, and I love the way you said this because it's the right mentality is, you know, people have, you know, maybe six different, you know, careers. You want them all to be there. If I got you correctly, if I heard you correctly, you let that be known right from the start that, hey, just because you start on this track doesn't mean that you are stuck in that track as we have other opportunities that can go in different directions. If you're a you know, successful team member, we are flexible with you and we'll let you evolve in the organization in whichever way makes the most sense for you and us as a team. And that's a really good message. Uh, I think it's the perfect message for recruiting younger talent. So did I hear you correctly? I mean, that's essentially what you say to your recruits. Absolutely. We want to make sure that they understand that it's not just about an advisor position. And I think for those of us who have responsibilities for more than just sales within the organization, um, you're, you're being faced with the challenge of trying to find the talent in all different areas. And sometimes it's not directly with the client, but all of those positions directly impact the client experience. For us, we want that to be the best possible. All right, Ian, I want to toss the same question or questions to you. And I know that you guys at Ameriprise in working with all of the institutions that you do have developed a really good reputation for recruiting. I mean, I've heard that from third parties. I've heard that from banks and credit unions that I've worked with that you guys do a really good job. So congratulations on that. So I'd love to get your thoughts on this same subject, recruiting younger talent and having having them be successful in our in our space. So where do you find them? How do you 
How do you treat them? How do you help your clients through that recruiting process and sending the right messages to the younger cohort? So we don't scare them away. We do the opposite. We say, this is this is a really good opportunity for you, right? So so what are your thoughts about all that? Absolutely. Um, and I agree with Bob a lot on that career path. I think it's important when you're laying out an opportunity as a financial advisor to, to have a career path that maybe has different branches in it. Uh, you could still be in this business or this industry and not necessarily on the sales side. Um, there, there's plenty of other opportunities on the research side or, or compliance side for that matter. I think having the, the, those branches um, and I'll, I'll take a step back to uh, we talked about the recruiters and the, and the, you know, at the college events and so on. I think that's a tremendous opportunity to get newer people into this industry and this business industry could certainly, especially our channel could certainly benefit from some of the larger banks getting involved in that from a financial advisor perspective for the bank. Ameriprise and a lot of the other firms do a really good job of laying it out there, what a financial advisor does and the opportunities behind that. But in most cases, they don't necessarily go down, oh, and this is an opportunity within an institution too. So I think we could all do a better job of kind of laying that out there. Certainly something that, that, that I've been thinking about recently and, and how we incorporate that. And I'll use my, you know, an example as well. My daughter too just did an internship with a, with a firm. She's very excited about the industry and the business. And had she not been exposed to, uh, you know, the bank channel as part of her internship, she would have never known, you know, that, that, that part of this, this world ever existed. So uh, I think as we maybe evolve or develop the, the, the college recruiting aspect for this, having that that story and maybe even having some of our larger partner banks involved in that recruiting process would be key in attracting some of that talent and maybe giving them a different avenue uh, aside from the traditional financial advisor that they've probably been exposed to. Well, and you bring up a good point, and I, I think that uh, that a lot of banks and credit unions, for that matter, when they think about recruiting, one of the most important elements of, of recruiting is having a really good value proposition, right, to get people interested. And maybe that value proposition has to be broader than just investment services or wealth management for the institution stand, uh, from the institution standpoint. Right. So part of the value proposition sh should probably be that, hey, we uh, we have a real interest in you for wealth management, and this is what the different career tracks look like. But don't forget that we're, you know, you'll be working for a bank or a credit union, whatever it might be. And there are a lot of other opportunities, right. even outside of that track, that could be really attractive to you. So we're kind of where a lot of things happen and there'll be good opportunities here if, if you be if you become a teammate. I, I think the value proposition is important and maybe having the value proposition broadened uh, to that degree might help even more so with the recruiting, right? And if you, especially if you get passionate about that message. Absolutely. Let me turn it to uh, to Bob for the next question. Bob? I'm just going to start off by asking about mentorships and internships and other novel approaches. But let me go to the value proposition just for a, a moment before we get into that, because we kind of touched on it before. So, Ian, is part of the value proposition when you're out there recruiting, talking about what you deliver to those financial advisors, the technology, the training, other advisor skills? Are you trying to sell them on a package of, of stuff that they get to be part of the Ameriprise universe? Great question. Um, yes, but but not necessarily leading with that all the time. I think we 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 touched a little bit of this on our our last podcast, the the culture part, right? Building that value proposition. So I feel like that that what Ameriprise has to 
offer for uh, an advisor within the institution channel is definitely very attractive to them. Um, but that's just really you know half of the story. I think it's as important, if not equally, uh, maybe more important for them to understand the bank, the culture, uh, the opportunity, and, and really the career path there too, right? I think that's that's something that that is very attractive with a lot of advisors. Um, you know, I think we all have really good platforms and, and technology for that matter. Um, but when you come to uh, an organization or an institution that really provides a lot of value to their clients that differentiates them from maybe the bank across the street, that's what's really set, you know, that's what's really hitting for a lot of advisors. Partner that with a with a great firm as well. And, and you know, it's, it's a tremendous opportunity for them. And so now going back into the novel, other novel approaches, everybody's doing mentorships and internships. Are there other ways out there? Sometimes I've heard that, you know, folks with a military background, after they come out of the military, that might be an avenue. And I've heard some little success stories here and there about that. Is that anything that has been on your radar? Uh, yeah, you know, we, we have the, the opportunity to work with a large credit union that, that caters to a lot of former military members. And, and that's certain, certainly something that they're looking at as well. I think we're, we're just at the, the, the tip of that as far as really leveraging that opportunity. Uh, we do have a lot of uh, a lot of our bank partners that that take a lot of value in, in something like that, where they're looking at it, maybe an advisor that, or a, a person uh, that's never been in this space, but does have that that type of background, bringing them in and, and having them more in a mentor, uh, mentorship uh, opportunity, meaning they've got a, an established uh, set of financial advisors already with their with their institution. But they don't actually have the newer guys coming in underneath them yet. And so, uh, we talk about succession planning, things like that. And I think that's where that mentorship piece really comes in. It's it's not just, hey, listen, um, you know, we're going to give you an opportunity to work with this bank or credit union, but we're going to have a seasoned advisor partner with you. And this advisor uh, may be sunsetting out in, in five to 10 years. This is a tremendous opportunity for you to, for that uh, that advisor to mentor you, but also look at possibly helping that that uh, advisor transition or sunset out down the road as well. So I think mentorship is, is huge. We sell a lot of that with, uh, you know, if I'm talking to maybe an advisor that's newer to the business or new to the business, really that's one of the selling pieces. We mentioned the, the broker dealer, the value proposition. I think the value proposition can go back to the seasoned advisors that have been successful within that organization and the ability to have them as mentors and kind of bring them up through the through the ranks, if you will. Yeah, that's definitely a selling point because if you're really trying to get into this business of financial advice, or, you know, banks definitely have that as an edge. If you're going to, let's say, an independent channel, here's the phone book, friends and family. That's not going to happen <laughs> right. in a bank program. You have that in your right. independent channel for sure. But the bank channels, you know, the mentorship with the older advisor. Do you actually have a flow chart of like what the retirement timelines are out there? Do you, do you, do you have any, you know, forward thinking plan for that? That changes based on the, the advisor and the institution in, in some cases, but most of the time we look at anywhere between three to five years as far as what that transition looks like. So, um, you know, if, it, if this is a situation where we're actually recruiting for a retired an advisor, we'll actually have that defined going into uh, into the process, right? Uh, if I'm meeting with that advisor, hey, listen, um, Bob Smith's going to be retiring within five years. Here's what the transition plan looks like. You're going to initially start out working with these clients and then transition to over to these clients. And then as that that um, those years go on, uh, the newer advisor assumes a lot more of the book and the, those relationships. So it's a very smooth handoff. You know, in, in, in our space, too, uh, clients are very loyal to the, the banker credit union. 
and when they actually have that handoff from an advisor they've been working with for, for quite some time to a, a newer advisor, you know, it builds a lot of trust there, right? They're, they're not necessarily having to move anything. They're just moving on to another advisor. Honestly, we, we, we set it up to where the, that advisor has, the, the retiring advisor, excuse me, has a lot of insight on choosing that advisor that's going to be assuming their book. I think that's very important as well. And, and I think that that's going to work very well in the future too, to have that whole plan out there. Because again, a lot of those newer, younger advisor types trying to get into business definitely are not the types that are going to call friends and family. That ain't going to work at all. Nobody wants to be doing that. Bob, <laughs> did you do that? Because I, Bob, I, I think I recall a story of you. One of your first positions was in my hometown where I still live in New York, in Comac. Things have changed quite a bit in terms of recruitment from back then to now. So, you know, how does this all resonate at, at Fifth Third with um, with regard to internships? And I know you mentioned before you're doing a lot of college recruiting. Is there a success story? And can you share what it was like back when you were an FA to now? <laughs> uh, you know, Bob, it's funny. I always look fondly back on my my days of, of being on Long Island and, uh, you know, certainly the opportunities that I had there. Maybe I don't miss the traffic as much as I, uh, I once did, but it's certainly... <laughs> The industry's changed dramatically, I think, since all of us entered into the industry. Um, the regulatory environment is completely different. The ability to attract clients is, is significantly different. I think, you know, for a, a lot of us who might have started out in a, uh, a wirehouse type environment or being able to have to cold call and realize is the, what the attraction to the bank channel was that you were going to meet clients, be able to see them face to face. And really, I think people's skill sets are different. But if you have a consultative type approach and like working in a team, the banks were a tremendous opportunity. And so many bank programs were being established in the late 80s, early 90s. It created a lot of opportunities for us that you know might not necessarily have um, you know, uh, been afforded things elsewhere or might have chosen other career paths. So I'm always very uh, thankful for uh, the opportunity that the bank provided for me and the bank channels provided for me. And, and it's one of the ways that you want to, you always think back, how do you repay that to that, that next generation? And we mentioned before, I don't think there's necessarily the attraction to financial services today, the way it was probably celebrated uh, during that time frame, but you have to, I think it's really a lack of probably knowledge and education. I, I think my perspective on what an advisor was, uh, in the late 80s, early 90s was probably taken a lot from the media and, and you know, uh, some of the dramatization that you saw in movies. That, that's not the reality. You're helping individual clients plan for their specific needs. And I think as you able to articulate that, particularly to young college graduates or people who might have entered a career that's not necessarily what they thought it was going to be, when you determine what the day-to-day -day responsibility of what a financial advisor does in our industry, the reality becomes a lot more attractive. And, you know, uh, Ian mentioned about culture, and I think that's so important because people, you know, there's a competition for talent today like there's never been before. You have to articulate how you're going to be different, not only from a, you know, you mentioned the technology standpoint or income opportunities, but really genuinely the simple question is, are, am I going to be happy working at your firm? And we right. spend a lot of time talking about that culture here at Fifth Third, and ours is really based on consistency. Uh, you know, for, uh, you know, I've been with Fifth Third for now 17 years. Our management team has pretty much an average of almost 20 years 
tenure with the bank and with the third securities. Our average advisor, more than than 65% of our advisors have been here seven years or more. So we let people know that if you come here uh, and you you see we're the same, going to be the same firm today as we are three, five, seven years down the line. And consistency is important. I think particularly as we talk about sales professionals, they don't like changes that they don't enact themselves. So we try to really articulate our level of consistency within a bank program, our compensation uh, consistencies, our leadership consistencies, and also the value proposition that we provide for our clients. I feel we've made enhancements to meet what the market demands are of today versus maybe where they were 10 years ago. But the message is really always simple. We put the client at the center of the conversation, and that's very attractive to people who I think have a little bit more holistic view uh, today more than ever before. And you have to be able to articulate that for them to, you know, because many times you're, you're, you're competing with many different offers for a recent college graduate. And, uh, you know, particularly the years after the pandemic, that was, uh, I think that was very pronounced. So we really spend a lot of time to Ian's uh, earlier point, talking about our culture, talking about our consistency, and really how we talk, we treat our client. And, and that tends to be very attractive. And I think that's led to some of our successes. You're, you're so right on point with that. That whole culture and consistency is so important and client-centric. And those are the kinds of words and themes and ideas that really generate excitement amongst the younger generation. They don't want to hear sales commission. They want to hear helping people create a future. That's what they're looking to do. And I think that generates a whole new um, value proposition for these jobs. It's more like being a life coach than it is being a financial advisor. There's so many opportunities where people where where financial advisors are getting way more involved in just the day-to-day financing, helping people find the right college, you know, handling so many different things. And I think when you talk about looking at, you know, local colleges and internships and things of that nature, that all comes into the conversation. You mentioned, you know, when we uh, were asking in the previous question about um, internships, you guys do a lot of things with local colleges. Is there any one particular instance that kind of jumps out as a success that, you know, that, that you guys have generated a fifth third? You know, I think that I could point to probably some missteps that we had. I think the most important thing, really, our success is built upon the relationship of the organizations and the institutions that we've worked with. And we're very lucky here in the greater Cincinnati area to have some great you know, secondary institutions uh, of learning. So we're very fortunate, you know, both from the bank's presence here, as well as um, the kind of our in, the individual alumni uh, that still resonates here. I, I, you know, we've we've had one in particular that is already kind of moving on to the, the next step. He's been here just under a year and is actually seeking an opportunity kind of in process management with us. So it's not really an advisor position, but we have an opening in, in the home office and, and they're looking and saying, hey, this is really where I, I I didn't know where I wanted to be. But after being here, I see this as being the next step. And I think it would help me potentially long term become an advisor because we really want to know the industry. And I think you see it's become a lot more complex uh, dispensing advice and guidance today versus where we were you know, back in uh, 30 years ago when, when I started. So I, I really celebrate that because I think it's important because clients 
have never had greater access to information themselves, you have to be one step ahead of that and making sure that your value proposition is solid opposed to, you know, just having a, a presentation for a product that um, that just does not work anymore. And our current group of potential advisors have really see that first and foremost. And we see it also with our licensed banker population. It's very important for them. We spend a lot of time with industry knowledge, really specific coaching. We have a weekly call and mentorship with our existing advisor, our, our third party partners, and they really dispense a lot of thought leadership to help make those people better at their craft before they actually enter uh, into a financial advisor program. Uh, it's, it's just absolutely, that's the uh, the new future in this industry. I would be remiss if before I turn this over to Scott, I did throw a shout out to the BISA and their Rising Stars program. I've been lucky enough to be a mentor in that program for six years. And every year I've had a, a conversations with a different mentee. And I tell you, I learn more from the mentees than I share with them, I'm sure. Because I'm the old guy, right? I'm learning all of these new new ways of, of thinking and, and just attacking financial services in our industry. So, you know, shout out to BISA and to all the organizations that share in that program. So with that, tossing it to Scott. Good conversation. And, and let me let me just summarize, uh, Bob, something that you said, and, and I think this is an effective summary, but the, the importance of communicating to new recruits the social relevance of being a financial advisor, right? And, and, I, and I think that term in and of itself, you know, that this is a socially relevant position is powerful and you can explain why. You're changing people's lives. The majority of people out there do not do a good job managing their finances, managing their investments, managing their wealth as they start accumulating wealth. And with some guidance by us, we can change their lives and the lives of their kids, right? And there's a lot of social relevance in that. And frankly, if we become an influential advisor, we can even change the community that we live in because you get involved with the community, right? And you're helping a lot of people. That's a cool message. And I think that's a message that's neglected often when uh, organizations speak to potential candidates that are you know, just, just coming out of college, the younger candidates. I'm going to go in a little bit of a different direction here um, with this next question. And Bob, let me keep you on point for a second, and then Ian, I'll pass it back to you. But we have, uh, so Bob and I have done some very interesting podcast episodes with extremely successful financial advisors over the course of the last year or so. And their stories are fascinating. And, and, and you know, the stories of not only how they got into the industry, but what makes them successful. So my question to you both is, have you experienced that? So have you seen female advisors uh, become very successful? And if so, has that been a focus lately? And is there a different approach to recruiting female advisors? Is, is that something that, you know, that that is a priority for you or just give me your general thoughts on that because that's a we see that as a as a uh, a portion of our industry that has a lot of excitement in it because it's been such a male dominated industry and probably for a lot of the wrong reasons and it's starting to change and that change is impressive right and like i said some of these people some of these women that we've interviewed they're killing it and it's really exciting to see that. So just want to get your thoughts on that whole dynamic, uh, Bob, and then then I'll pass it to you, Ian. 
No, I, I absolutely. And I think us as an overall organization at Fifth Third Bank spends a great deal of time having conversation regarding diversity uh, and inclusion, and particularly when it comes to recruitment. And we're very proud of our results in, in all the lines of business that I'm responsible for about the, and we're very intentional about making sure that we're inclusive in the recruiting opportunities, making sure that we have a diverse candidate pool, and making sure that we, it makes every organization better uh, when you increase diversity uh, in there, because uh, you don't want to have a group of people with like-minded thinking. You want to be challenged because the industry, and we you know, referenced a few times, is changing so dramatically, you have to be able to see things through different perspectives. I think specifically when it comes to recruiting, um, it, it is interesting if you go around and probably interview most program directors, either their top five advisors is probably made up significantly of female advisors when you, and I could kind of name the people off the top of my head from different organizations, including my own. So I think it's very important when you have it, if you are, are able to recruit a female you know, advisor into the organization, A, giving them the pathway to be able to develop their own practice. What are some of the accreditations that they want to do? Are they interested in helping a certain segment of people like themselves? And being able to help not have a cookie cutter approach to say, here's just the referral from, you know, in our world, the bank, really being able to help them build a practice that's in their own likeness. And then also being able to find the people that they socialize with and talk about the success at Fifth Third. And we have deliver on the value proposition uh, that we provide. Are they able then to be enthusiastic to say, hey, I joined Fifth Third within the last you know, year, year and a half, you should have a conversation with us as well and bring your talent to the organization because they've really helped me take my practice to the next level and let me do it in a fashion that was specific to how I wanted to grow my practice. So we've really approached it that way um, because, again, when you have top people, they tend to know other top people and there's no better referral than the one that comes from an existing employee. It's interesting that you mentioned that the top advisors in a number of firms that that you know of, including your own, are are, are now female. That's really good to hear, and and, and good for you for focusing on that. Uh, uh, you know, having a diverse group of advisors to serve such a diverse client base that we now have. And what's interesting is that you you touched on this that uh, a lot of the successful women advisors are building a practice in their own image, so to speak. So, for example. If they're a you know divorced head of household, their clients are, look a lot like them, right? Divorced head of household females. And that's been a very successful strategy that we see out there. Thing, things like that, right? Or you know, or the the breadwinners in the household that are doing most of the financial management for the household, right? and 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 maybe having a stay-at-home husband or something like that and building a specialty practice just based on on things like that. or or female executives that are in the C-suite. Right, they have their own set of of needs, priorities, and dynamics that an appropriate female advisor can really relate to and help with. So, I find that stuff fascinating. So, Ian, let me throw it to you for your thoughts on all that. Absolutely, it, it's a huge focus of of ours at the firm, and actually firm wide, our, our top advisor that we recruited to the firm uh, last year was a female as well. So. You know, it, it's definitely a focus with us. We actually um, not only focus on it, but we actually have different events that we leverage uh, from a recruiting perspective for uh, female advisors. We've got separate uh, home office visits, VIPs, we call them, that are actually are set up for 
uh, women uh, in this industry. It's actually ran by a tremendous uh, lady that's actually the, the head of recruiting for uh, women advisors. It's our WE Network uh, at Ameriprise. So we have the separate events. We also have uh, women um, women's advisory co uh, conferences that we have. We actually just had one a couple weeks ago, had over 800 people there, uh, which, which is great. And one thing, I'll take it a step further. So yeah, there's that focus on it. But also the, the weed network that I just mentioned, that's an ongoing thing. So it's not just attracting the female uh, or diverse talent. It's actually supporting them as they're at the firm, helping them grow. Uh, you know, Bob said, nobody tells a story better than someone that's already there, right? When you've got happy, successful female advisors at the firm, they know other female advisors. They can tell that story. So one of the things that we really focus on is not just the recruiting part of it, but the ongoing support, the ongoing culture, the dedication we have to that. I see this as an amazing opportunity in front of us, especially when you look at the wins that we had last year. I think we're only just now starting to, to for the flywheel to spin, uh, spin in that realm right now. That's cool. I mean, it's really good to hear that you have all these dynamic things going going on for female advisors. Uh, good for you. And the WE Network, does that stand for women's, women executives or something like that? Empowerment. Women's empowerment. Women's empowerment. Perfect. That's cool. Good stuff. Bob, back to you. Thanks, Scott. You know, there's a lot of people that listen to these podcasts, and we've talked about a lot of different ways of, um, of recruiting. But can you define, um, Ian, we'll start with you. What has been historically the most successful sources of candies, both internally and externally? Like, where do you go first? Great question. Um, honestly, and our close rate right now is, is probably 85% on employee referrals, meaning when we're recruiting for a, an opportunity within one of our banks and credit unions, obviously we go over the value proposition. We'll discuss how we're going to go about recruiting, but really one of the first things we do is put it back onto the institution. We've got a really lucrative opportunity for the institution or the advisor or for the banker for that matter to earn some money based on that referral. You know, again, there's nobody that can tell that story to bank better than somebody that's doing it day to day already. So when you look at that opportunity, really leveraging uh, that referral opportunity that we have set up, the fact that it's not just limited to advisors, it's li a banker can refer an advisor, right? So we really will make sure that we broadcast that out to our partner banks and credit unions. It's all funded by, uh, by the firm. Uh, and when you look at the close rate of those advisors, uh, like I said, it's 85%. And here's another thing. Our production of our internally referred advisors is two times what our average recruiting GDC is. We're, we're close to about 800,000 uh, in GDC of advisors that we recruit that are referred to from someone within the organization already. So that's where we start right away. Uh, and then obviously we, we've got our internal team that, that does an excellent job as well. You know, the lion's share of that business comes from our, our internal dollars and, and our relationships that we have, not only with our, our recruiting directors out in the field, but our wholesalers as well. Uh, but really what I'm most excited about now is that internal referral thing. That's got a lot of legs here recently. Uh, we've had a lot of success and, um, you know, that that's really our, our first go-to when we're having that recruiting conversation with our organizations. And then we'll lie it out with our search firm partners and so on. Can I dig in deeper to that and ask from those employee referrals, what is the background of those employee referrals? Are they sales assistance platforms? What's their experience level? We've got uh, several from branch, uh, branch, or excuse me, branch managers. Uh, really, we've only got one from an actual advisor, believe it or not. So we broadcast this to advisors, to bankers, to, to branch managers, and so on. But 
a vast majority of the referrals are actually coming from bankers. Uh, you know, it could be like a commercial lender. It could be a, a mortgage lender or a branch manager. I think that's where we've been kind of, or, or I think the, the industry in a whole has really been missing out on leveraging for referrals. Where you go through your wholesalers, you go through your existing advisors, but you've got bankers that, you know, you may have a branch manager that just started with an organization in the last six months. Well, she probably worked with seven or eight advisors at her previous bank, right? She knows advisors and she knows if they're going to be happy or not. So that's that's really the exciting piece of that. It's not just coming from the advisors, but the, the bankers in general. That's phenomenal. That's great, great success. Uh, Mr. Corsari, what do you have for us? Where do you go first externally and internally? Is there anything that you, you strive to historically where you get your best sources? So, Bob, I think to answer your question, it has to be a mix. Uh, I, I, you know, I really stress to the sales management team, uh, you know, it's not just internal people, because sometimes that can be the easiest pass, path for them to take an internal someone from our licensed banker program. Uh, but I don't know whether that's serving necessarily our client from an experience base all the time, as well as from the organization that we have to grow as well. So the one thing that I found that's very important that the local sales management is building relationships within their local market. Because when an opportunity comes, it's very difficult to just say, hey, I have an opening now, I have to go find somebody. I, I don't think you're gonna get the best candidate. You have to establish a relationship that may happen year, two years. I can think of a specific example we just had where we had, had a, I think a very good opportunity open up uh, for us here in the greater Cincinnati area. And our local sales manager had a relationship with an advisor that dated back, you know, five plus years. And they were a, a long tenured employee of their prior firm. And when they saw the opportunity based on the relationship that they had, the existing uh, reconnaissance that they've done on our institution, it was a, a very quick transition for them to be able to join us. But that would not have happened if we started from scratch right there. So I, I really stress with the sales managers, it's very important to continue to build relationships and then also be able to focus on having a balance between both external candidates as well as mentoring the proper internal candidates so they're truly ready when the opportunity comes to uh, to fruition. Well, I, I, so I guess both of our panelists concur that, you know, a lot of our, you know, referrals for advisors can come right from bank referrals and relationships. So you don't have to go too far maybe to, you know, to really, you know, build your recruitment uh, efforts. So um, with that, let me pass it to Scott for the second to last question. The last one's always our lightning round, but um, back to Scott. All right. And this one, let's just give us, you know, give give the listeners highlights so we can go through this pretty quickly. But the, the, the question is one more out of curiosity than anything else. And maybe, Ian, you can start us off with this one. Uh, and that is how can technology and social media be best leveraged to increase the success of recruiting efforts? So just... Any thoughts um, based on experience and aha moments, what you've done or what you've seen done that was successful to generate maybe more response than what is typical by leveraging technology or social media? Ian? Yeah, and, and this is always one of our, our um, probably most spoke about uh, topics when we have our, our home office visits is the technology that we leverage that advisors will have access to. Um, we talked about earlier today about uh, the finding uh, younger advisors, right? Um, advisors are now are having to meet their clients where they're at and leveraging technology, or, excuse me, leveraging social media in cases like that is something that that is definitely um, 
more appealing to, to the younger investors, right? So I think having the uh, a firm or having the opportunity to really leverage uh, social media, um, LinkedIn, technology, things like that, uh, not only to communicate to uh, your, your current um, clients, but uh, let them know about industry trends, things like that. Um, a lot of the, 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 the material that we have or all the material that we have available to our advisors now is all pre-approved. It's very simply uh, easily shared across multiple different social media outlets. Um, talking to advisors that haven't had that opportunity before is definitely something that really perks their ears up because it's another avenue for them to talk to clients that they don't have access to or talk to people they haven't had access to um, and really just take advantage of that. And again, that's where a lot of people go for their their source of information right now, like social media. And I think by having that that, that tool now um, definitely differenti differentiates them from maybe where they were before and definitely from the advisor, you know, 15, 20 years ago as well. Do you have, uh, Ian, j just curious, because uh, obviously LinkedIn is a leverageable platform for professionals, and, and, and I'm assuming for advisors too, but turning that around for a second, for recruiting, have you at Ameriprise had success recruiting by using LinkedIn's recruiting tools? We have, yes. Um, we've, we've had some success. I wouldn't say it's it's the, the go-to uh, when you look at um, our a through A through D as far as recruiting avenues, um, we do leverage it in some cases where it's a if it's a larger market and we're not able to get to uh, a certain segment of that market. Um, it is a valuable tool if it's done right. I think that the key there, uh, Scott, is to learn how to use LinkedIn for recruiting and not just browsing profiles and sending people messages. There's a tremendous amount of tools within that uh, that you can leverage for recruiting that probably a lot of people don't realize that, that are out there. When we've actually used that, you, you see a lot of success. Yeah, interesting. I, and I've never used it for recruiting, so I was just, I was just curious. So, uh, Bob, same question to you, leveraging technology, social media, et cetera, to increase the success of uh, your recruiting efforts. What what experiences have you have relative to that? Yeah, I, I kind of agree with Ian. I think we've had marginal success when it comes to utilizing LinkedIn. It seems that everyone's very active on that. Um, so I don't think we've necessarily got um, a, a tremendous success. What I have found, though, it's very important to have an active social media presence, because when you are looking at recruiting advisors, they are going to check out your social media presence and to see the value add that you provide there, whether it be thought leadership, whether it's just exposure. It's very important that they tend to do a little bit of their reconnaissance um, as far as the research on their firm whether it be LinkedIn or other social media profiles. So not necessarily for direct recruiting, but I think more in support of the, uh, you know, current overall organization and being able to kind of talk a little bit about the value proposition of the firm that they're you know, potentially getting involved with. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's like, a, it's like a tool, right? It goes back to the, the culture, the, the opportunities of, of, of some um, organizations compared to others by that advisor being able to leverage that the social media um, access that they haven't been in the past, we use that as an advantage to recruit. So I think that the question um, that you asked could, could be looked at two ways. Do we personally use that for 
to find advisors and recruit advisors. And, and, and like Bob said, yes, marginally. Where we actually really leverage that social media is what the firm does with the social media and those tools that the advisor will have access to when they do come over. Social media presence is, is, is very important. And I'll take it a step further. So I think one of the things that should be the objective of any good advisor is to become a seen as a subject matter expert, not only among their clients, but among their communities and among their social circles, right? And being seen as a subject matter expert um, takes a, a lot of effort. But one of the things that makes that easier is social media if used properly, right? Uh, so so I, I think that's where social media really comes into play as being seen as a subject matter expert, right? As a, as a true professional and I think that will that will generate referrals. It'll generate confidence, et cetera. That's where I see some significant impact. All right. So let's wrap this up with a lightning round question. And this is this is the uh, the segment where we usually have a little bit of fun at the very end of our episodes. And uh, thank you both for answering the uh, professional questions. Now let's get silly, <laughs> Bob. This is really silly, but um, Bob, how do you deal with someone who doesn't answer a text? Bob, let me just say, I think based on where the SEC is right now with off-channel communications, I think it's more <laughs> how I deal with somebody if they are answering a text more than uh, the negative on that. So and that that's very serious. So I think we, we're very diligent on off-channel communications. Uh, we want to make sure that we, you know, we we have specialized software for record retention for our broker dealer, and we really uh, have spent a great deal of time educating our advisors on um, making sure that they use um, the the phone technology uh, within the proper guidelines because it, it is a uh, it's a major issue as the world has changed dramatically in forms and way which you a client wants to be communicated with by their advisor so but I think overall the responsiveness is very important we take uh, client service very seriously and we just want to make sure that our advisors realize prompt replies uh, both to our clients as well as to um, internal requests are, are, are very important I know you were looking probably looking for a little more humorous answer there but yeah i was most, i was uh, wondering what, i was wondering what would happen if you, you didn't answer my text or i didn't answer your text <laughs> yeah unfortunately i think it's more about if you did answer the text or i yeah. sent it is the problem today <laughs> Ian. i will assume that you're talking about on a personal level as far as answering the text um i immediately write them off uh, no, I'm just kidding. Um, I, I live in a, a house full of, or not house full of, I've got two teenage daughters that basically that's how they communicate with everybody is through text. Um, so I'll lob a text out and then if I don't get a response, I'll just pick up the phone and call them. It's a um, dying habit these days, it seems like, you know, if you don't get a response from something, you just keep on texting. I just pick up the phone and call them. What, what if they don't answer your phone call? Well, then <laughs> that's a whole other story. <laughs> Scott? So in line with Ian's answer, it depends if it's one of my daughters or if it's somebody professional, right? Uh, if, if it's one of my daughters, so I have two daughters. One of them is very good about answering texts. The other is awful. And the last time I looked at her phone, she had, no lie, 161 unanswered texts on her phone. And I said, Julia, what's the deal? She said, well, I'm in too many group chats. I can't keep up with it all. I'm like, well, why don't you answer my text? He said, because I don't see them because they're buried. Great. <laughs> but if it's an important text and my daughter doesn't answer, I'm pretty relentless. I'll blow up her phone in a number of ways. <laughs> if it's professional or a friend and it's important, I will, uh, I'll do, Ian, what you do. So first it's a text. If there's no answer, I'll call. I'll leave a voicemail. 
and I'll also send an email. So I'll just layer it in three different ways. And if they blow me off in all three, I get the message. I'm going away. All right. <laughs> Bob, what about you? I cut and paste it and send it again. If it's still no response, every text has a phone number, so I'm on the phone. It's usually going to be sales related. I'm not losing the sale. I'm all over them in any way which I can get in contact with them. And I eventually will get in contact with them. <laughs> so yeah. that's kind of wraps up our um, podcast today. I always like to end with like, what are the top three takeaways that I have since we've been talking for the last uh, 45 minutes to an hour? Um, those top three takeaways for me was college recruitment is a cost effective way to create a pipeline for internships. Number two, and I think Scott said this, stress the social relevance of being an advisor and how it impacts people's lives. And number three, that I think we all agreed on is the best referrals for advisors may come from bank referrals and relationships. So, uh, Scott, any closing thoughts before we wrap? Yeah, I'll add one more, um, <clears throat> something that 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 Bob C. said, and that is that, you know, people usually have, if I get it right, usually have six careers. We want them all to be here. I love that mentality. And I, and I love structuring the whole recruiting effort around that mentality. I, I think that's perfect. And it's a great add to the value proposition. That is my my one add. I want to thank you both, Bob C. and, and Ian, for uh, being on this episode uh, and contributing to the uh, the value that our audiences uh, get from these these podcasts. So thank you very much for, for joining us on this episode. Bob, back to you for closing comments. Thanks to Ian and Bob, and thanks to Jeff Hartney and the BISA. Thanks to Ameriprise for their continuing sponsorship of this podcast series. And don't forget the two other podcast series we have out there, Untangling Fintech and Industry Leadership and Success. These can be found wherever you get your other podcasts and music, Apple, Spotify, Amazon, you name it, we're on it. So now it's time to say goodbye, and we hope you enjoyed the show. So say goodbye, Scott. Goodbye, Scott. <laughs> Thank you for joining us for this episode of BISA Industry Trend Watch. And thanks to Ameriprise for their much appreciated support. Be sure to subscribe to our two other podcast series, Industry Leadership and Success, focused on industry-leading performance and success stories, and Untangling Fintech, aimed at helping you keep up with the evolution of technology offerings in our industry. Goodbye until next month.